Welcome to the Inside the Oval podcast presented by Dignity Health. I'm Patty Kwan. And I'm Haley Jones. And today we are joined by 49ers Associate Counsel Micah Bell. Micah, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us about your role? What is what does it entail being the Associate Counsel of the 49ers? Well, to put it very broadly, I am legal counsel for the stadium all things stadium related. So I work very closely with stadium operations. So I handle a lot of the maintenance and other service contracts. We have construction coming up, so I'll be assisting with a lot of that work. I handle a lot of the private event and larger ticketed event agreements and pretty much anything that affects the stadium in any form or fashion, I serve as legal counsel for that. Have you ever taken one of those reading speed quizzes? Like, I just feel like you'd be a really good speed reader. (laughs) Actually, funny story. When I was younger, I was actually a slow reader. Um, It just took me a longer time than most people to read through the things. When I tried to speed read, I would have to reread it anyway. So (laughs) that's actually really funny. (laughs) Can you take us through your path to the 49ers? Like what, what are the experiences that got you here today? So my journey to the 49ers has been very non-traditional in comparison to a lot of my colleagues in the sports industry. Uh, This is actually my first role in sports. Um, It's been a journey of maybe 10 years from the start of law school when I started in 2010 um, until I graduated. I wanted to go into sports. So trying to get different internships was always a challenge for me just because of the money component, Um, not because I couldn't get those internships or I wasn't interested in what they were asking for, but mainly because, you know, it was either at the time free, you know, you had to work for free. Um, before they changed all the rules related to that, and or it was across the country, and I just could not afford to get to where I needed to be for those internships. So I had to turn a lot of things down, unfortunately. Um, but when I got started, I did some document review just to kind of get get my feet wet in the legal industry, um, and then I went straight in house. So I worked for um, this company called Commonwealth Edison, which is the major light company, uh, electric company in the Midwest. So I worked there for about two and a half years. And then after that, I did some government jobs. Um, So I got a lot of experience working, you know, firsthand with a lot of those uh, clients. And then most recently before I came here, I worked for the city of Chicago law department. And my biggest client was actually the department of aviation. So I was handling pretty much everything that I do here. I did for Chicago Midway and Chicago O'Hare airports. Um, So I've, you know, had to work with a lot of the concessionaires that you see whenever you're going through the airports, all of the airlines, you know, there's so many complex contracts that I had to work with in order for them to even have flights that come through Chicago O'Hare and Midway. So it was really interesting, very fast paced. Um, So I was able to gain a lot of uh, procurement experience, which is what I like to tell people a really fancy word for like purchasing and securing different things for your business. And it was actually that experience that the legal team here was in search of because we had a couple of things come up with the city of Santa Clara that required a really strong procurement knowledge. Um, And that was kind of like my opening to getting into the sports industry. So 
I'm grateful <laughs> that that was something that I didn't even think would translate over into the sports world, but very grateful. What was your interview process like here? It was very interesting because I applied maybe a day after my birthday in 2020, which was March 22nd. And, you know, the pandemic had just started. Everyone was working from home. I was very depressed because I had to cancel my birthday plans and come to find out I was actually going to get proposed to on my birthday. So thank you. (laughs) So it was like a really funky time. Um, And I just so happened to be like scrolling through LinkedIn and I saw this role pop up. So I just sent off an application and maybe two months later, I get an email from my now supervisor, uh, Jahad Beachman. And he's just like, hey, we really liked your profile. I'd like to set up a call with you. We set up a call. We talked for maybe about an hour. And then after that, maybe two weeks later, I had a one-on-one conversation with Hannah. That was really fun. You know, she was nothing like I pictured her to be because she was like in her backyard and she was just like very just relaxed and chill. I'm like, you're the general counsel for the 49ers. This is insane. Like this is, you know, you're just so cool. Um, And then after that, I had a follow-up with Jahad. That one lasted a little bit longer. We got more uh, in-depth with our conversation And I'm on pins and needles. By this time, it's June. And I got a phone call while I was at my dad's house, um, actually. And, you know, he starts off like, you know, I really hate giving these calls, you know, when I have to tell people that they didn't get the job. But fortunately for you, we don't have to have that conversation (laughs) because I'd like to offer you the role. And it was so, so wonderful because my dad, um, who passed away maybe a few months after I got the job, he was the first person that I was able to share the information with. So that was like a really special moment for me. Um, But yeah, I started, I was very excited to start. So July, 2020, I was like, I will start as soon as you will have me. So it was really interesting. That's a great story. I think also on that, I remember when I did my interview with who would have been my manager when I got here and she was in an airport and we were like on a FaceTime and there were like people walking behind her. I think it does definitely break down like how like intimidated or like how like it's a really interesting interview process Mm -hmm. to have someone out of their element. Yes. Like it humanizes them so quickly. Yeah. So when I had my follow up uh, call with Jihad, he was actually in his house. Um, sitting at the computer, you see his dog like walking back and forth in the in the video. So it was definitely something that really brought down the 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 jitters and just the fear of you know being face to face with the future that you've been looking to become a part of for so many years. I think that's funny because mine was like the opposite. Like I had my intro with Johnny like over Zoom. But then my in-person, I talked to like 10 different people in person. I was just like in a conference room and I was just sitting in there for like an hour and every, you know, 10, 15 minutes, someone new would come in. And so I talked to like people from graphic design, people from website, email, digital, eventually talking to my bosses who would be my bosses. And I was a wreck. So like, (laughs) I don't know, maybe like you guys... Had it, like I don't know I was it was like a part-time job too and I was just like this is really intense for like this yes. part-time yes. job yeah I mean that was kind of my my thought process going in I thought this was going to be you know like I had like a full panel to sit in front of and I would have to talk to other people on the legal team and you know maybe some people from like executive leadership 
I had no idea because this was my first experience really getting into the sports industry. And I have family members that have been working in sports for 20, 25 years. And they always tell me like, yeah, I had to have a phone call with this many people. And then they fly me in and I have a panel of 10, 15 people that I have to speak to and spend the entire day with them and come up with projects and all these things. So I was like really intimidated when I first got started. <laughs> but, you know, my I would like to say that my process was quite seamless. So since you got here, do you have a favorite project you've worked on? I would have to say just being a part of like all of the FIFA work, um, even though I did come in towards the tail end, like Hannah handled most, if not all of the upfront legal work uh, in, in uh, conjunction with Patricia Ernstrom. Um, but just being a part of that entire process and then hosting them in you know October of 21, that was so exciting for me. And I think just getting an opportunity to be in the same room with a lot of the executive leadership team that I wouldn't ordinarily, you know, just communicate with or just really engage with on any other basis and really getting to know Al and just having conversations with him and just kind of like watching him as he did his like presidential things. Um, so it actually gave me an insight to that world and just a little bit of what that entails. So as far as like career aspirations, it did shift what my future would look like if I had my way. And I'm like, you know, there might be something to this being a president of an organization type thing. So, you know, it's a few years away, obviously, but you know, that's something to definitely look forward to down the line, hopefully. Along the lines of soccer, the National Women's Soccer League just announced today that a women's pro team is coming to the Bay starting in 2024, which I think is really exciting. And I think kind of ties into like the work that we're doing in bringing soccer to the Bay Area. I know you also had a hand in some of the flag football initiatives that we have here at the 49ers. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I... I've really just been more so like a supporter ambassador status as it relates to our flag football um, because I myself am a player and I've been playing for almost 10 years. And just the work that we're doing, I was like, I have to be a part of this. Some, some form, some fashion, like I absolutely have to be a part of all of the initiatives that we're doing as far as like educating the you know local area. We're communicating with all of the high schools out here, giving them information to train refs rules and regulations. Um, we're hosting clinics. Ryan Dillard and his team, Nizam, like they're doing a fantastic job really engaging with the community and putting on all of these programs so that young girls especially are really getting the information and the technique and training that they need in order to be successful in school and in community programs. So I am really excited now to hear that there's a pro team coming. You know, I go way back with soccer. I don't know a lot about soccer, but my favorite player growing up was Mia Hamm. And I think that she was phenomenal and just completely electrifying. Um, so I think that that's going to be really exciting when that gets here. What position did you play? Or do you still play? No, so I, in flag football, I am pretty much an all-purpose player for the women's team. Mm -hmm. For co-ed and, you know, whenever I play with my husband on his guys team, I'm usually like a wide receiver Sometimes I play center and I snap the ball. I'm just, you know, corner, wherever they need me, really. I just enjoy the game, um, to be perfectly honest with you. I used to QB many, many years ago, and I attest my playing softball for so many years that have really helped me with that skill. 
but I have since retired from the QB position because I was tired of running all over the field trying to get away from a rusher speeding at me at full speed. So it's fair. Yeah. (laughs) Did you know you always wanted to be a lawyer? No. I grew up wanting to be a sports psychiatrist. That's really specific. Since (laughs) I was seven years old, my great-grandmother was um, a nanny to a wealthy family um, in like a northern suburb in Chicago. And both of the parents were psychiatrists. And I remember uh, her talking about what they did for a living. And uh, we actually visited them once, you know, the kids were fully grown and everything. And just talking to them. And I was just really fascinated by the human brain. And I'm like, what can I do with this fascination as a career? And they're just like, well, we're psychiatrists and this is what we do and all of that. And I wanted to take that with my passion for sports and kind of bring them together and work as a psychiatrist in the sports industry. And then it wasn't until I got to college where I took all of these science courses and I did um, like kind of like a, I guess you can say like a walkthrough with a psychiatrist just to kind of see, obviously I didn't sit in any, any of their client meetings, but just kind of talking with them and like, what does your day to day look like? I'm like, oh, this it's kind of boring. I don't, I don't know if I really want to do this. So midway through, I asked my grandmother, I'm like, I have always wanted to be a psychiatrist since I was seven. I have no idea what to do with my life now. What, what should I do? And she's like, well, you like to talk and you like to debate a lot. Why don't you just be a lawyer? And a lawyer I became. <laughs> just like that. Just like, like that. Like you weren't even like daunted, like law school, all that, the bar. No, I did my research as with anything. Um, and I pretty much had it mapped out, all the things that I needed to do. Schools that had strong sports and entertainment law programs, areas of the country that I could potentially move to to really make this a reality. And all throughout, you know, the remainder of my college years on forward, it's been a ride and a road to get here. This is a total Patty question, (laughs) but how close are shows about lawyers? I'm thinking like Suits, Partner Track, Allie McBeal. How close are those to real life? Um, hmm. I think all of those, they really go into specifics on trial. Most lawyers don't even go to trial. Most of what I've done, like in the past, whenever I did have to go into court, was like pre-trial motions. You would file all this paperwork and different things, and you're trying to get things thrown out. And at the end of the day, like going to trial is very expensive for everyone, and it's very time-consuming. So it's in everyone's best interest to not go to trial, Um, obviously, except for the actual law firm, because they want the money, obviously. But, you know, most of us don't go to trial. We don't want to get there. But funny that you bring up Partner Track. Netflix needs to renew that show because it's absolutely fantastic. I binge watched it like a few weeks ago and I think it's great. Especially like the the Asian American female that's the the main character of it. I thought it was great for like representation and the fact that they canceled it after that first season is completely ridiculous. And we can get into a whole nother conversation about that. (laughs) But Netflix, if you hear this, please renew Partner Track today. What are your thoughts? I know you were saying, like, no one wants to go to trial. I feel like people are very conflicted about, like, jury duty. Like, some people love it. Like, my dad is like, I think it's cool to see the process (laughs) play out. And then other people are like, 
I got to take off work. I got to sit in and wait around. Like, what are your, what is your take on jury duty? Well, fortunately, I have never been called. They don't like lawyers in mm, jury duty. That would make sense. So um, we would probably complicate the entire process. <laughs> so once they find out you're a lawyer, they're like, mm, no, we don't want you. Thanks. But I think that if people have to take off work and they're forced to be there, then you should pay them better um, I'm not sure what it is here in like the state of California but I know in Chicago it's really really low and it does not fairly compensate people for the time that they take to do this but I guess they can say oh it's your civic duty is it <laughs> <laughs> like if I'm an, an hourly employee and you know if your company does not have it in their policy where they'll still pay you your hourly wage while you're in jury duty like I'm essentially losing money to be here and most of America is not in a position to lose money that they need in order to feed their family so right something to look into I also think a jury like hopefully knock on wood I am never arrested in, in a jury trial <laughs> But it kind of, like, I don't know if I have enough trust in people to put my life into, like, 12 people's hands. Like, I've seen 12 angry men. It scarred me for life. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I mean, I have mixed feelings, and I know some people will likely disagree with me, but when it comes to jury trials and just watching juries, especially the ones that you see, like, on television or the ones that you're able to see play out on, like, the news or whatever that they'll allow you to see... It's really about, like, who is the better actor? Which of these attorneys sells it the best? Because, let's be real, most of the people that sit on juries, they're not really paying that close of attention because people are like, I don't want to be here. This is so long. This is so boring. Like, I have no idea what they're talking about, all these objections. Like, what is really going on? People are doodling on papers. Like, it's it's all over the place. So... It does not really, 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 really make sense to to me as far as like jury trials. It's just like, oh, these are, you know, there's so many things historically that have been very uh, uncomfortable to watch and uncomfortable to read about as far as uh, individuals not having a fair trial process because their quote unquote peers that are on this jury are not really reflective of the defendant. So I think that's really why I have like mixed feelings about the entire process. Have you followed at all the Gwyneth Paltrow trial? No, I didn't even know she was like, what's going on with that? This is news to me. I also have not followed it. It was right. like a ski accident in 2019. Like the guys accusing her of not paying attention and running into him. She claims it was, his fault, it's kind of one of those type of things. Oh. He's suing for, you know, 300K. She's countersuing for, like, a dollar just to make a point. Like, <laughs> I didn't do this. So, I know, like, social media was having a frenzy with it. I didn't pay super close attention, but I was just like, this is really weird that this is, like, a real criminal case. Yeah. Also, after you said that it's really expensive to take people to trial... Just the amount of money that must have gone into that is crazy. I know. Like, trial can cost upwards of, like, millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. Like, that is really, really expensive, which is why so many people settle. Because it's mm. it's faster, it's cheaper, and we just want to get this done. So that we can, you know, stop having to pay all of these really high <laughs> prices for our attorneys. But even with that, like, with jury trials, now we have... 
something that's a little bit more uh, that complicates things even more is the fact that like social media and the access to it and everyone has their opinions and everyone thinks they're, you know, a lawyer or a jurist or, you know, the the other officers of the court and the judge and they have like all these think pieces that can really cloud your judgment as a juror. You know, it's it's no longer, at least I don't think, it's no longer those days where they kind of like lock you away like they did with the OJ trial where people were locked away for months and they couldn't communicate with the outside. They couldn't watch television. They couldn't do anything. Like there were no cell phones really with immediate access to the, the internet. But nowadays there's so much that could possibly impact your case one way or the other. So I don't know. It's tough. <laughs> Circling back, back to you. Sorry, we got like sidetracked with <laughs> okay. like all this like <laughs> stuff that's happening in the news. Can you take us through your higher education experience starting from your bachelor's in pre-law sociology all the way to your master's? Check your LinkedIn. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I have four degrees. So as you mentioned, I have my bachelor's degree in pre-law sociology. Again, that was one of those things where I really enjoyed the study of people and, you know, just the mind and everything like that. I took lots of psychology courses. The love for that never went away. So I wanted to make sure that I did that. Um, after that, I wanted to go to a media arts school in Chicago, Columbia. It's our version of Columbia in like music management. But then when I thought about it, I was like, you know, I really don't want to limit myself to just music. I wanted to, you know, really keep my focus on sports um so I did away with that and you know I was afraid that if I just worked for a few years because I wasn't quite ready to go to law school after getting my bachelor's degree so I wanted to work a little bit and having a conversation with my mom she was just like well here are some programs that I think that you would be interested in um as you can tell like I was definitely a grandma and mama's girl for sure like I went to them for counsel for everything in my life and um, I ended up going to Governor State University and they had like a policy program uh, where I was able to really get into policy research and government and different things like that. So it kind of gave me a different view of what could come up in the law um, and just kind of like the political aspect of it, the policy aspect of it. And I got involved in that. I served as a TA on a couple of my research courses because coming from U of I in Champaign, it's a really large research-based school. So everything that we did, we had to like do all these research papers. It was like ridiculously long. Um, so went there and then after that went to law school. Um, the school was called John Marshall Law School. It has now merged with the University of Illinois system. So it's the University of Illinois Chicago John Marshall Law School. Went there, was heavily involved throughout that. And then um, after graduating, one of those situations where I'm like, mm, not really sure how this job search is going. I really want to get into sports. But in the meantime, let me look into this Master of Laws degree, also known as like the LLM. And I ended up getting my LLM in intellectual property law. So I have like a really deep investment in all things IP. So I don't use it much in my in my current role, unfortunately. <laughs> but if ever called upon, I'd be able to to really step in on that. So you also chair our Black Employee Resource Group build and you sit on the Women Connect Leadership Board. Can you tell us about your roles in each of those and just why it's been important for you to get involved? 
Yeah. So when I first started, we were still in, you know, pre-pandemic, well, mid-pandemic. And um, Hannah reached out to me and was like, you know, they are opening up the applications for board positions for Women Connect. I think it'd be a great opportunity for you, one, to meet new people. And two, just really immerse yourself within the fabric of this organization. So, you know, I did some research and I was like, sure, why not? Um, And this was my opportunity to really connect with a lot of the women here um, and just really get involved. So I'm really grateful for that experience and really just learning and connecting with the women of the organization in that way. As with BUILD, um, it was a little group that was started May of... 2020, I believe. So literally months before I started. And at the time it was virtual only. Um, We would kind of connect and, you know, there would be a lot of sessions where we're talking and having those conversations about all of the things that were going on in the world and how they were impacting each of us as black employees and just black people in America. So that was really, really beneficial for me personally. Um, and getting to know other African-American employees here, as well as creating a space for all of us to just connect with one another um, as we are working through the issues um, that we face on a day-to-day basis. And as my involvement increased, which was like a gradual process, I think over maybe like the last year and a half after Todd left the organization, It was kind of a toss up, like what is Bill going to do? Because he's like one of the founders, like everyone who founded this group has now moved on to other opportunities and everyone else is like, oh my God, like we can't just let it go. Like what's going to happen? What are we going to do? So I just decided to step up in that moment and I'm like, well, we're getting back into the office. This is the prime, like perfect opportunity for us to be able to connect in person and really start to forge those relationships. And that's something that I've been really focused on for the past now year and a half that I've been the chairperson for BUILD. It's just really forming relationship and focusing on fellowship and bonding and just building that community among us um, to be able to connect and see one another. Because, you know, as Patty, as like a person of color, you understand like it's something to see when you are surrounded by people who look like you who understand like some of the challenges that your community has um like really been a part of and like really has really affected them over the years and it's something to be able to have that bond with other people other like people um so that's something that we've really been focusing on over the past couple of years it's just making sure that we have that community and it's strong it's solid and employees, new, old, and in between are able to reach out to build and, you know, really find themselves and see themselves with reflected within that organization. Yeah. And you do a great job. Thank you. I love the build events. Thank you. <clears throat> we talked about it with CJ, the Juneteenth event last it was year, the best. two years ago. Yeah. Oh, you guys, it's going to be even better <sighs> and even bigger Yay. this year. Love it. Family will be invited, so everyone will be able to... So (laughs) to be able to enjoy, but that was something, um, Nigel McWilliams, he was, it was his brain, like his, his baby, his brainchild. And he was just like, you know, everyone knows that he's from the South and he is very proud about that fact. And I love that about him. And the fact that he's like, I just want to throw a fish fry. Like I, you know, just like we do back at home where we get the family together, there's music, there's love, there's positive energy. Everyone is just happy. 
And we were like, well, you know, we can't just send you to the lake and, or the ocean and like go fishing. <laughs> but here's something else that we can do. And it just kind of grew from that very casual conversation. And I unfortunately was not able to go because I was at a conference. But just seeing the videos and everything posted on social media, it was like the epitome of black joy. And that was something that I was very excited about because so much of the media constantly puts out the negative side of like being black in America. Uh, all you hear are about like the murders and like the police brutality and like all of these other things, even though they still happen, that is not the only thing that black people want to be associated with. Like, we have fun. We love, we party, we have a good time. We love our family. We enjoy bringing others into the fold and just really having a larger sense of family and connection with people in general and sharing a little bit of our culture with those that genuinely want to be a part of it. So having the Juneteenth celebration was our chance and our ability to be able to do that and share it to, with so many employees. Like it's something that I am now looking forward to every single year. You mentioned Black Joy, and I know you've had a part in the, I think, Black Excellence collection, mm -hmm. retail collection. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, so that's another thing um, I was thinking about and just how we would be able to immerse ourselves even more within the fabric of this organization and, um, you know, just looking through the legalities and actually having a conversation with another attorney, I believe, with the... Minnesota Vikings. And she told me, you know, like, here's all of the, you know, the licensing procedures that we have to go through in order to have merch in the stores online, different things like that. She's like, but there may be an opportunity to do smaller capsule collections within your organization. And so I'm like, hmm, that sounds like a novel idea. Maybe that's something that we can do. And I brought it to CJ, who I absolutely love because she's like, you bring me something, I will help you figure it out and make it a reality. And so we had this conversation and she's like, well, if this is something that you want to do, let's do it. And initially we were thinking about partnering with some third party artist, someone, you know, maybe from like the Oakland area that would be able to do all of the designs and working with fanatics and other organizations, other groups like that. But one of our build members, Jonathan Carroll, was like, do you mind if I submit some stuff because I have some ideas? And then thinking about it and seeing some of the designs that he put forward and just the thought process behind everything that he brought to the table. Like there was a story connected to every single design that he brought. And I was looking at this stuff and I'm like, this is amazing. We don't need to go to a third-party artist. We have one right here. And I think it would be just as impactful, if not more, if this is completely employee-led. So just over the past six months, we've been working with Mike and, uh, at the time, Umesh and a few others from, like, Fanatics and Mitchell and Ness to really bring this collection to life and, you know, just... Everything is going to be centered around black excellence on and off the fields. We're paying uh, paying homage to like Jerry Rice and Jonathan Taylor and other black players that have come through these doors that have not only displayed excellence on the field, but also in their respective communities. And we really just wanted to, you know, pay them these legends. We wanted to just like give them something back like, hey, we really want to 
bring you all into the fold of this collection. And hopefully, if all goes according to plan, everyone will be able to see the collection this December just in time for the holidays. Love it. I mean, it's so inspiring, especially how early you got involved in ERGs and like just in this organization. Another thing you did, if we're listing them off, last night you moderated a panel of five C-levels for a Women Connect event. What do you get out of an event like that, being able to kind of ask questions for, like, as the spokesperson for a group of women who were there? I love that type of stuff. Um, It actually helps me get over any fears of talking to those individuals in, in those positions And just being in the role of advocating for others, I think that eliminates any fear that I have. Knowing what the purpose was and knowing that I had to speak on behalf of other women in the organization and really ask those hard questions. I actually told Peter when we left, I'm like, I'm so sorry for pivoting and going off script because they had received some of the questions beforehand. But there were some things that I'm like, I really want to ask these hot button issue issue questions because I'm pretty sure that there are some other women in the audience that want to know, like, what are you doing in your current position to, you know, create access and opportunity for other women to come through the pipeline? And, you know, it was really, really, really inspiring for me. I'm really happy that they all decided to stick around after the event and to mingle with the women that were participating and just being a part of those type of opportunities to speak on behalf of or advocate for other individuals it's a part of my life's purpose and I absolutely love every every minute of it. What advice do you have to anyone who wants to get into the industry? And then on top of that, we've talked about just how important representation is and, and like seeing it, it's just kind of, you know, believing that you can be there. And I think, I don't know how many, you know, African-American lawyers there are across the NFL, but um, I think just the trend that we're going to, I think it'll steadily increase. I think just advice to anyone who wants to get in the industry and then maybe like a message of encouragement to those who, you know, relate to you? Um, For anyone that's trying to get into the sports industry, I think that manifestation is the best thing. Not losing that grit. Um, Disappointment will come. It's a part of the game. You might not get every opportunity that you seek out, but if you will it, you will have it. And don't give up. My journey was almost 10 years long trying to get to this point. And there were many times where I wanted to just give up, maybe change directions, go into different industries, maybe state government. But I just knew this is what I wanted to do. This is where I wanted to be. And I'm going to get there somehow. And, you know, just not being afraid to talk to people, not being afraid to cold email, LinkedIn go to different symposiums, conferences that you are able to go to, and just not being afraid. You have to be fearless because you never know who might hold your future in their hands. You know, somebody that you might not want to talk to because you think that they're above you or just above being a mentor. There are so many of us out here that are like, where are all the people? Please come talk to me. Here's my email address. Let's go out for coffee. Let's do, you know, a 15-minute Zoom, Zoom call. I host Zoom calls like every other Friday with collegiates that email me from, you know, when they saw me on a panel or that reach out to me on LinkedIn. And I'm like, hey, I have some time on Friday. Let's connect for 15 minutes. Love to hear more about you, how I can help you. 
I have so many mentors now, mentees now where I'm able to, like, if I see jobs that I know that they will be qualified for, I send it to them. I might let me know. I'll send off your resume, whatever. There's a lot of people that are willing to help you. But as the old saying goes, like, closed mouths don't get fed. So open your mouth, reach out to people, and literally just do it. Um, and as far as anyone who looks like me, Black women specifically, there are, I believe, six of us in the NFL. Um, and we actually meet quarterly um, where we're able to just kind of support each other and just talk and catch up. But that doesn't mean that it will always be just the six of us. We're going to grow. There's room for all of us at the table and every last one of us across the board, not just in the NFL, but those that I know in the NFL are really um, at the NBA are all doing what they can in order to create more opportunities and really just lifting as we climb. Like these are all really cliche sayings, but they are so meaningful and it's very true. There are so many people that really, really want to do the work to help bring more people, bring more diversity, not just how we look as far as the diversity, but where we come from, the socioeconomic status and all of that. It only makes our organizations better um, the more diverse we are. So diversity in thought, diversity in location, diversity in our ethnic backgrounds, it all matters. And there is hope and you will have a seat at the table. If not, take what you can, get the skills that you can, and build your own table. I love that. That's the quote graphic. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Final question. We've ended every podcast with this. Every job description at the very bottom says other duties as assigned. <laughs> have you done something with the 49ers that wasn't necessarily on that job description that would be classified as in other duties as assigned? Yes, um, but they were certain things that I didn't shy away from because they weren't really things that I thought were like beneath me or whatever. But, you know, having to now take on administrative tasks for like booking conferences and doing all of those things that we would ordinarily have like an admin do or uploading my own contracts. Like I come from government. I was my own admin, <laughs> so it was no big deal for me. Um, but I would say the larger project that I have since undertaken since coming here is working with CJ to build out a supplier diversity program. It is still very much so at its infancy stages because it is a large undertaking and um, it's going to take a lot of sweat equity in order to get it across the board. But we are hoping to have something by the end of this fiscal year. More to come. Amazing. Micah, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It was really fun to hear a little bit about yourself and what you do. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Mm -hmm.